Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we started this message on Wednesday night, and we'll continue and finish it this afternoon. James chapter 5, we started talking about patience being a virtue, and we're looking in verses 7 through 11. And on Wednesday night, we looked at learning to live patiently with circumstances of life, learning to live patiently with people as well, uh, having an eternal perspective that the Lord is coming soon, this, things in this life are temporary, not eternal, and having an eternal perspective helps us deal patiently with hard circumstances, with difficult people, etc., etc. And in that message, it said there was three, three things that we were going to discuss, Ad, the admonition to patience, uh, which we considered Wednesday night, secondly, the illustration of patience, and then thirdly, the motivation for patience. And we'll consider the illustration of patience and the motivation for patience today. But let's look at this text again, James chapter 5 and verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen that the end of the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And again, Wednesday night, we looked at living patiently with circumstances and with people, and we considered the admonition to patience, how James says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, he says, Be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And today we're going to consider the illustrations of patience that are found here, and then also the motivation for it in this text as well. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd use your word again to instruct us this afternoon. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. The illustration of patience. There are three things that are listed here as illustrations of patience. It's the husbandman in verse 7. Uh, it's also the prophets in verse 10. And then Job and his life in verse 11. These were illustrations that James used of, of, of the, the virtue of patience being developed in our life. Let's consider the husbandman here of verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain, be ye also patient. The Bible tells us, and, and James talks about the, uh, the illustration of the farmer here when it comes to the issue of patience. He says that the farmer waits a long time. He says the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. Now, let's think of the illustration of a farmer for a minute. Does a farmer do any work? Well, yeah, a farmer does a lot of work, doesn't he? 
A farmer, first of all, has to prepare and cultivate the soil to get it ready for the planting. But then he plants the field, and then, once the farmer is done with that work, what is there else for him to do? He does a lot of work in the beginning, preparing, cultivating, planting, and so on. But once the farmer is done with his work, what is it that he can do? There's not a lot that he can do after that. There are many things about waiting for a harvest to come in that's completely out of his control. Verse 7 mentions the early and the latter rain. What control does the farmer have over the rain? He has no control over that. He can do his work, he can do his part, but there's a lot of things that are out of his control and he's got to wait and have patience in order to experience the precious fruit of the earth. He can have expectations for what he's wanting to see happen, but it's not in his control to actually make it happen. Now, let me make an application here. When it comes to soul winning, when it comes to reaching people with the gospel, the responsibility that we have, we need to work. We need to sow. We need to cultivate. We need to plant seeds. We need to do all that we can do in the fields of men, but we also have to wait. We have to rely upon the Lord to do the things that are not for us to do things that are not in our control. It's not our job to save people. It's our job to sow seeds. That's what we've been commanded to do, to sow the seeds. Sometimes impatience when it comes to evangelism is what causes a lot of problems. Listen, there's a lot of churches, friends, and I'll tell you this uh, with a grieving heart. There are a lot of churches that have a, a, a mentality when it comes to evangelism that, you know, repeat, re- say these verses, repeat this prayer after me, one, two, three, and you're saved. We read a few verses out of the book of Romans. Do you want to get saved? Yeah, I want to get saved. Okay, repeat this prayer. And they repeat this prayer, and guess what? We had 65 people saved on visitation today. My friend, that is uh, probably not true. In my experience, in my experience in dealing with people, salvation, number one, it belongs to the Lord. Okay, let's, let's remember that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But in my experience in dealing with people, typically people are not like the Ethiopian eunuch who is on his way home from Jerusalem, who when the Spirit of God said, Philip, join yourself to this man, who was ready because God had already been working in his heart that once the gospel was explained in that moment, he was ready to be saved. That's typically not the case. In my experience, it takes some time for God to do his work in a person's heart. And we are commanded to sow seeds. We're commanded to give the gospel. We're not commanded to bring in the harvest. It's the Lord of the harvest who brings it in. What I'm saying is sometimes impatience causes problems. When we try to do the work of the Holy Spirit of God, 
in a person's life. And what happens is we rush through and these people don't have a full comprehension of their guilt before God. That the fact that they're, they deserve God's wrath because they've offended Him by breaking His law and they're sinful people who need forgiveness. And when the Spirit of God does that work in a person's heart, guess what? I don't need to coax anybody or anything. The Lord does the work. All I need to do is simply sow the seed and keep on sowing it and wait for the Spirit of God to do His work in a person's heart. What happens in situations like that is you've got all these, quote, conversions, but they're never real conversions. For a little time, maybe someone is there for a moment or two, but... Because there's not real conversion, it never lasts. Where are those who are now supposed to be disciples of Christ, followers of Jesus Christ? Where are they? Well, they don't stick around. They don't get baptized. They don't stay in the church. Why? Because they were never converted in the first place. Probably because real salvation is real conversion that changes a person's life and all things become new. Well, you don't have to convince somebody who's been truly born again that this book is alive and this book feeds my soul. You don't have to convince somebody who's been truly born again that they need to be in the house of God where the word of God is preached and my soul is fed. You don't have to convince people who are truly saved about that. The Spirit of God does that. We get impatient. We want some numbers, and we want people to see. Oh, well, look at all these look at all these salvation professions we have. We had sixty-five people saved. Wow, isn't that amazing? But where are they? You understand what I'm saying? You get impatient. The farmer, he's got to sow the seed. He's got to cultivate the soil. He's got to do all that he can do. But guess what? There are things that he cannot do that only God can do. And he's got to wait and have patience for that rain so that when the rain comes, it actually brings forth the fruit of the earth. Well, what I'm saying is when it comes to evangelism, we need to pray. We need to sow the seed. We need to trust the Lord that the crop is going to come in all the while being involved in the work. And listen, friend, it is well worth the wait when we see God bring in the harvest. Well worth the wait. The husbandman, he has long patience waiting for the fruit of the earth. That's the illustration of patience. There's another one in verse 10. Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the, in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Now again, you have to remember, the word patience means long-spirited. Okay, that's the, the meaning of the word as it's used so far. It means long-spirited, and he's talking about being long-spirited in suffering scorn. These prophets had fortitude about them being long-spirited and suffering affliction and of patience, the Bible says. The word patience, again, here is long-suffering. It means long-spirited. It means bearing long. 
And, and, and James is talking about bearing long in spite of the scorn. And he says, take the Old Testament prophets, for example, of what I'm talking about. Now, when you consider the prophets in the Old Testament, we sometimes get to see some pretty cool things in the Bible, like with Elijah, who was a prophet of God, and God used him and called down fire from heaven and consumed the altar and the prophets of Baal and the whole thing on Mount Carmel was a pretty amazing thing. Sometimes you get to see some pretty cool things like that. But for the most part, the prophets in the Old Testament were men who were persecuted because of the message that they preached. Jesus used them as illustrations many times as those who were persecuted and even killed because they brought the message of God to the people who didn't want to hear it. I think we have a, another good example of that in the book of Acts. Go over to Acts chapter 7. And in fact, you remember when Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 7, Stephen mentions this very thing about how the prophets were persecuted for the message of God. And as Stephen was preaching to those who didn't want to hear him, notice what he said in verse 51, Acts chapter 7, and verse 51. He says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your father did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Stephen said, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And you know what? You're exactly like your fathers. Stephen himself was put to death because of the message as he rebuked the unbelieving Jews. The prophets are an example of being long-spirited with people, suffering scorn. Let me ask you the question. Have you ever had this kind of an experience? Listen, the fact is, if we are giving God's Word out, if we are preaching the Word of God in truth as it is, it's going to happen sooner or later that we will suffer scorn simply for preaching truth. Jesus said the world would hate us, but we're blessed if we suffer affliction for righteousness' sake. And the prophets are an illustration of this. But what was the response of the prophet to the persecution? The response of the prophet of, of, of Stephen and other prophets was not retaliation against those who, who brought scorn against us, but, but patience in spite of being rejected, in spite of the scorn, in spite of the persecution, their response was one of patience. In spite of being resisted, in spite of being talked about and even being murdered, listen, the response was a spiritual response of patience. The application for us is that, you know what, we need to have a thicker skin sometimes. Sometimes people are so sensitive. Sensitive to the littlest thing. And it gets everybody all bent out of shape and out of whack over the, over the simplest thing. Being overly sensitive. Always wearing the feelings on the sleeve. Right? 
Well, we need to have a thicker skin sometimes. When it comes to our faith, those who would bring persecution or who would bring accusation. Uh, listen, I've been called divisive so many times. Uh, doesn't even matter anymore. Why? Because I won't hold hands you know, with, with other preachers in the community and join in in, in in their efforts and their evangelism and so on. I won't do it, so I've been called divisive. Why? Because, I listen, I can't. I can't. Because here's what the Word of God says, and what you're doing is not the Word of God. I can't do it. Does that mean I hate you? Does that mean I don't like you? No. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means I want to be faithful to the Lord, and I just can't join hands with that. And so what happens is, oh, you're just being divisive, and there's this talk and that talk and all this kind of talk. Sometimes you just got to have a thicker skin. It's plain and simple. But you know, when it comes to each other, we need to have a thicker skin. Get so offended, so easily offended over the littlest thing, so sensitive. And sometimes we need to just let it go, give it to the Lord, have a thick skin. It's going to be okay. It really is. Patience, being long-spirited and suffering scorn. The prophets were a great example of what that means. Have you ever been mistreated by someone else? Have you ever been talked about, especially for doing right? What should the, be the response? What should the response be? The response should be, leave it with the Lord. God can set the record straight, endure, and leave it in God's hands. Why? Because He's ultimately the judge, not other people. He's the judge who will set the record straight. But then you have the example of Job in verse 11. If you look back to James chapter 5 and verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the, the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. He uses the example of Job here as an example of patience. Now, What's interesting here, when you read the word patience in verse 11, you've heard of the patience of Job. That word translated as patience is different than the words that are used before this in describing the husbandman and describing the prophets. That word means to be long-spirited, to suffer long but this word, patience, is a little bit different. This one means to have cheerful endurance. Okay? So it carries the connotation of being long-spirited, but now it goes a little bit farther and it talks about our attitude while we deal with the, long, the hard issues of life. Cheerful endurance. Consider the life of Job. James says, we would all agree that Job endured a lot more than we would ever have to endure or have endured, right? Much more than any of us have had to experience or go through in life. And this word translated as patience 
means. Again, it means cheerful endurance. The others mean to be long-spirited or to forbear. And this word has that connotation, but it's directly related to enduring those things with cheerfulness. And so it deals with the attitude of the heart in the midst of it. And he uses Job as that illustration. Now, let's go back to the book of Job. Go to Job chapter 13. I want you to see some of Job's attitude in the middle of the trials that he faced. Maybe I don't need to remind most of you, but Job was the richest man probably that had, was alive at that point in time. He was a very wealthy man. He had a large family. Uh, he was prospering and all of those things. And Satan came along and Satan said that Job only serves you because you protect him and you bless him. And if you didn't, then he would curse you and so on. And God said, all right, you can test him, but you can't touch him. And so Satan came along and he uh, uh, took away all, basically through natural disaster and other means, uh, he took away all of his wealth, all of his cattle, his, his buildings, his, his, his entire wealth, he took it away. And then Satan said, well, you protect Job, you put your hand on him and, and I can't touch him, but he would still curse you. And God said, all right, you can, you can afflict him, but you, you can't kill him. And Job got sick and had boils all over his body, and he lost his health. His children died. His wife turned against him. This, this, man, was, this man went through the circumstances. Probably don't need to remind you of that. But what kind of attitude would I have if I went through every one of those things? And yet Job says in Job 13 in verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Go to Job 23 in verse 10. Job 23:10 says, But he knoweth the way that I take when he hath tried me. I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He knows the way that I take. He knows what's going on. And when he's tried me, I'm going to come forth as gold. What a perspective. Job also said that I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Job knew what the end was. And what an example of enduring, but enduring patiently with cheerfulness. Even in spite of the hard circumstance of life. But listen, how often do we let the circumstances we're involved in affect our mood and our attitude? Some, because God's not given them the thing that they long for so much, either feel sorry for themselves or else they're bitter and they're angry. Or like we talked about on Wednesday night, because some are so controlled by their feelings that when the circumstances go bad, so does their attitude and how they respond to people. Listen, I've got the same problem. More than I want to admit. That's usually how we 
react and we end up having a rotten spirit about, about us rather than a joyful, edifying type of spirit. And it affects our relationships with other people. Listen, trials are hard. I get it. I know. But none of our trials are like what Job experienced. And we're admonished to endure with the right heart attitude of trusting in the Lord. Why? Because He is good. Look at the second part of verse 11. Back in our text. You've seen the patience of Job. But then he says, you've seen the end of the Lord. That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. God is good. And all we have to do is look at the life of Job again to see that. What was the end of Job's life? Job had twice as much as he had before. What kind of a God do we have? He's pitiful and of tender mercy. Listen, he often allows circumstances that are hard to bear to teach us some valuable spiritual lessons. But God never leaves us languishing in the middle of it. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 and verse 38. The Bible says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He also promised that with His help and His grace, it's sufficient for every need and every trial. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And I can do all things through Christ strengthens me we can have our strength renewed like the eagles when we wait on the lord amen armed with that knowledge armed with the knowledge of god's character we can endure patiently we can endure cheerfully knowing that the end is for good those that meant it for evil god meant it for good the trial of my life when I'm tried, I shall come forth as gold, as Job said. So Job, an illustration of patience, but enduring cheerfully. Not enduring the trial, but my attitude is rotten the whole time I walk through it. So that's the illustration of patience. But secondly and lastly, let's look at the motivation for patience. And I'll just touch on this quickly go back to our text what is the motivation then why why are we admonished toward patience in verse 7 be patient therefore brethren in verse 8 be also patient establish your hearts why because verse 7 says be patient brethren unto the coming of the lord verse 8 says be patient establish your hearts for the coming of the lord draweth nigh verse 9 says the judge standeth at the door. And then we find in verse 11 as well that the end of the Lord, He is pitiful and He's of tender mercy. Here's the, here's the motivation. Here's why. Because the Lord is coming soon. The coming of the Lord is very near, but also because God is pitiful and of tender mercy. Why should we live with patience? 
besides the fact that it's right and that's what God commands, why should we endure and suffer long even though people and circumstances seem to be against us and things are so hard? Well, first of all, we find one of the reasons is because God is pitiful. In verse 11, that means, that word pitiful, it means this. It means extremely compassionate. God is extremely compassionate. That's why. He knows what's going on. He can and will care for His own. It doesn't mean that we won't experience suffering in life. But listen, the Bible tells us that our afflictions are light. And our light affliction is but for a moment. And it has a spiritual purpose to work for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Not temporal. That's what we're talking about in this whole thing. Having the right mindset that, that, that this is all temporal here. And having the eternal perspective is the one that we need, that the right, the right now, the here and now, even though it's hard, has an eternal purpose to it. Man, that, that changes the whole dynamic when we think rightly in eternal terms. God is compassionate. And it ties into the main motivation then, which is that the coming of the Lord is very near. Verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 says, the coming of the Lord, unto the coming of the Lord. Verse 8 says, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Verse 9 says, the judge standeth at the door. What does that mean? Well, it simply means it's really close. It's here. It's coming. It's very soon. We don't know exactly when, but we do know it's closer than it's ever been. The times, the seasons, they tell us so. Verse 9 tells us not to grudge one against another, lest we be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. Have the right attitude towards others, lest you be condemned. Why? Because... The judge is standing at the door. He's right there. He's about to walk into the courtroom. Who's the judge? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think the application is, how is the Lord going to find you when He comes? In the whole context of this passage, living life with the right perspective, keeping things in context, not living in a temporal plane, but an eternal one, do you see how important it is to live patiently and soberly in this present world? He's coming soon. And that begs the question, how will He find you when He appears? Will He be pleased with your present state of living? Will you be found faithful or unfaithful? Let's be long-suffering with each other and with the circumstances of life because I think we'll regret it if we're not right with Him when we stand before Him and give an account for the life that He's given to us. Sometimes we need to be encouraged. But most times we need to be corrected. And that's what God's Word will do. It'll bring correction. I read something the other day that was really insightful and convicting at the same time. It said, correction is only seen as judgment to those who still love their sin. 
you know, when correction comes into our life. and You're just being judgmental. Or you get the idea that, you know, the preacher's preaching at you. Well, maybe it falls into the category of this, that correction is only seen as judgment to those who still love their sin. Because I know what that is like in my own life. But I also know that when the Lord corrects me and I take it rightly, I'm also very thankful for it. In the end, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness in my life. So let's let God's word work mightily in us. Amen. To change for good. That God would be glorified. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use your word. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.